pastor of Core Creek Community Church in Pennsylvania. He's an adjunct professor at Cairn University and director of the National Mission Board. Pastor John holds degrees in Bible, education, and counseling, and he is a certified speaker, trainer, and coach. You can learn more about Pastor John and his ministry to church leaders by visiting his website, www.desirejesus.com. By the way, it's apparent to me that Pastor John has given himself to serve and to strengthen the church. So I'm thrilled to uh, turn it over to him now. Pastor John, thanks so much for being here. Welcome. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be here. And I'll just uh, do a quick tech thing with you here and just confirm that the slides are showing correctly for you on your screen. I'm seeing them here. Yep. All right. Yep. Wonderful. Well, good to, good to be here with everybody. I recognize we're in different time zones. I was about to say good afternoon, but I recognize that, that those of you that are in California, this is this is still the morning for you, and uh, we're grateful that you're on the call today, grateful that you could be part of the webinar here. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the idea of lasting in leadership over the long term. And uh, at the end of our webinar here, uh, I have a couple quick resources for you that I'm just going to give to you for free. Um, so I will remember to, to mention those at the end. Uh, but I just want to mention that here at the beginning because I think there'll be good follow-up resources for you in this particular subject as we talk about this idea of lasting in leadership over the long term. Leadership is not an easy thing to facilitate. Leadership is a very difficult task for many of us, uh, even if we feel that the Lord specifically called us to lead. And so we're going to talk about some healthy things that we could be investing in so that we can ultimately last in the leadership role that the Lord's allowed us to be part of. Now, I have a whole, whole bunch of things I'm going to share in our webinar today, and a lot of them will be here on the screen, and some of them will be on the handout that uh, you were able to download at the start of the webinar. But then I'm also going to be elaborating on some of these a little bit further. And as Sean mentioned, um, I also would be encouraging you to drop your comments or suggestions or insights in the comment field, because Sean will be monitoring that, as he mentioned, and uh, we'll have a, a discussion time here at the very end. But over the course of recent years, multiple studies have been released, and maybe some of you have seen these already, but these studies state that it's very unlikely that a person who becomes a pastor early in their working years will actually retire as a pastor. And in fact, I happened to see one of these studies, I think it was about a year ago, I saw one particular study. Uh, that indicated that on average, seminary-trained pastors tend to leave ministry after only five years. And when I read that statistic, I was surprised with it and not surprised with it. I thought, wow, after only five years, uh, after going through all that training, so you figure at that point they've probably done maybe six, seven years of training, and then to leave ministry after only five years. But the part of that that doesn't surprise me is the fact that now this is year 23 for me in full-time pastoral ministry, and I've seen the other side of, of what serving in church leadership can be like. I've seen and experienced, you know, the, some of the challenges and some of the stressors and some of the things that can really weigh my heart down. And I'm certain that those of you that are on the call here today have experienced those things as well. And we all have our stories, and we'll even talk about that in just a few moments. But during the course of my particular life, I've had the privilege to observe multiple pastors, so people that have mentored me, people 
who have been an example to me, people that I've been observing from a distance, but multiple pastors who joyfully remained in their role of leadership and had healthy long-term ministries, and their lives and their ministries followed a very similar pattern. In fact, I I just uh, recently had the opportunity to spend time with a particular family, and uh, this pastor is now retired, but he spent his entire ministry, his entire adult life serving in pastoral ministry without interruption, and I thought that that was amazing, and uh, he did that right up till he was uh, close to his 70s, and then he had some health issues he had to deal with, uh, but but he he lasted in in long term ministry from his twenties to his to just about his seventies, and I thought it was an impressive stretch. And his life and his ministry it followed a very similar pattern to some of the others that I had observed that had um, like joyfully remained in their role of leadership, not not treating it like a burden, not feeling excessively overwhelmed with it, but joyfully remained in it. Uh, but I've also observed others who have served for very short periods of time. And then I've watched them become exasperated. I've watched them become discouraged. I've seen men that have eventually left the ministry because of this exasperation and this discouragement. And the pattern that they demonstrated in their ministries and and the reasons for their shorter tenures were varied. It wasn't all the same thing. Um, Some left because it was clear that the Lord had called them to transition. So I have one particular friend who was serving in pastoral ministry. And uh, it became very clear to him that his calling and his gifting wasn't necessarily to serve as a lead or a senior pastor of a church. And so he transitioned to a different ministry, but he continues to serve in a role of leadership. But I've also noticed with some others that they left because of unhealthy patterns that they had allowed to take root in their lives. And those things were eventually exposed in one way or another. And as a result, they did not last. They fizzled out, they got discouraged, or their families just asked them to take take a, a, a you know a time away or a transition away because they saw these unhealthy things creeping into their lives. And and um, I've seen some people who, who just directly sabotaged their ability to last in ministry because of some of the unhealthy patterns that they had welcomed in. Now, during our time together today, what I'm going to do, and you'll see this pattern right away, if you've already looked at the worksheet, You'll notice this on the worksheet, but you're going to see it in particular with some of the additional content that I share here on the slides. But I'm going to suggest a pattern of health that I've dis, uh, that I've observed in the lives of those who have lasted in leadership. And I'll say this, if any one of these areas is deficient in your life, the odds of you lasting in leadership are slim. Because if just one of them gets out of line, it can ultimately sabotage all of them. But if each of these areas are healthy and if each of these areas are being intentionally invested in, the odds of you lasting in leadership, I think, are much higher. Again, some of this being anecdotal, but also some of this being research-based. And so we'll share some of this with you during the course of our time here. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to attempt to run through these areas expediently. There's a lot of content that I've included here, but I'm going to try to run through this quickly, expediently, so we'll have additional time for questions and for comments at the end. I want to make sure that we definitely leave time for that because I know some of you will have good insights that you can share with the group, and I know some of you will have follow-up questions about some things that we should probably uh, just take some additional time to elaborate on. So we're going to do that 
uh, at the end, but I don't want to minimize the importance of any one of these areas of health that we're going to talk about, because like I said, if we skip any one of them, we, we skip it at our peril. And uh, I'm also going to, going to be sharing several biblical and contemporary examples that I hope will be helpful to you. Uh, these are things that I think do a good job of illustrating the type of thing that we're talking about. So let's jump right into the first area of health that we're going to talk about during our time today, and that's spiritual health. And probably those of you that are on the call here today, uh, I know that there's men and women on the call here that serve in various roles of, of church service, church leadership, and um, it wouldn't surprise me that this is an area that we have a common understanding on, spiritual health and the importance of it and the value of it. Leaders who last, they tend to value their spiritual health. They tend to be people of prayer. They tend to be people who spend time in the scriptures. Uh, I don't know what your pattern or what your habit is in regard to prayer and scripture reading, but I would suspect that you have a pattern. Um, the nurturing of their faith is a high priority to them, these leaders who last, uh, particularly in church leadership. Uh, they may also engage in spiritual disciplines like fasting, and uh, and I don't just mean fasting from food, although that would probably be a great example, um, but just fasting from things that they're tempted to idolize. So just think about the course of your life, the things that maybe sometimes you think too much about or they take uh, too much of, of, um, of a spot of, of preeminence or dominance in your thinking. And uh, I've noticed that those who, who focus on spiritual health, from time to time, they, they are very intentional to fast from some of those things. So they look at what they're tempted to idolize. Again, it could be food, it could be something else, and they decide, all right, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to continue to allow this to dominate my thinking and my life. I'm going to take a break from it. I'm going to fast from it. It could even be fasting from social media or something of that nature. They also, as we're talking about spiritual disciplines, that those who, who invest in their spiritual health, they also tend to take time to confess to one another, you know, finding people that they trust and confessing things that they're struggling with or sin that they've invited into their life. They tend to expose that about themselves to people that they trust so that those things don't become idols or don't become something that takes them down an unhealthy path that ultimately sabotages themselves, their ministry, their ability to lead, their family, etc., etc. And so spiritual health is something that leaders who last tend to invest in. Now, I find that those who are investing in their spiritual health tend to take a great deal of inspiration from the example of Christ. And when you look throughout the Gospels and you observe the ministry that Jesus Christ accomplished during his time here on this earth, we see him joyfully ministering to thousands. Just a few moments ago, we asked the question about offering pastoral care. Do you feel excessively burdened with that, or, or maybe you don't feel excessively burdened? There are seasons in my ministry that I have felt excessively burdened with offering pastoral care. And I find great inspiration and great example from the ministry of Jesus, where you see Christ joyfully ministering to thousands, yet also carving out time for prayer, for solitude, for fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. We see Christ being very intentional about doing this. And even as he's doing this, he endured criticism from those who didn't understand what he was doing. Uh, even his own disciples, when, when you look at some of the things that the disciples asked and were curious about, even his own disciples were puzzled at times 
by his actions or by moments when he seemed to be at perfect peace and at complete rest, and yet they were all worried and, and troubled about something. So if you're someone who decides to invest in your spiritual health and you decide to follow the example of Christ, prepare to be misunderstood at times if you're actively being intentional about this kind of investment. Christ was misunderstood as he invested in this particular realm of health, and we will be misunderstood probably more often than we realize when we try to make investments in our spiritual health. I like what it tells us in Mark chapter 6. When you look at verse 30 and verse 31 of Mark chapter 6, it says this, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And the scripture gives us the note here. It says, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And uh, I'm, I'm certain that those of you in church leadership have had moments like that where even if, if you, you go to a church dinner or something of that nature and you quickly discover that the last thing you have time to do in a moment like that is eat because you're involved in conversation and welcoming people and answering questions and doing all sorts of things. And here in this portion of Scripture, we're told that the disciples had no time even just to provide physical care for themselves, and Christ invites them to come away by themselves come to a desolate place, rest a while, so spend some time away from people so that they could reinvest in themselves spiritually. So let me ask you a few questions here in regard to this, and I want you to be thinking about these things, and maybe you could even comment on some of them in uh, the comment section there, the question section on the sidebar. But I want to know, do you have contemporary mentors and examples who are helping you by modeling this for you? So the example Christ has given to us you have people that model that to you in present day. And I think a good follow-up question to that is, does the structure you currently have set up help facilitate your spiritual health? So the structure of your schedule, the structure of your daily life, are the, is that structure set up to actually facilitate your spiritual health? So in the context of the disciples, Christ was saying, listen, you have to carve out some time and get away from the crowds right now because you don't even have time to eat. So come away. Let's go someplace desolate. Let's get away from the crowds. Uh, do you have a structure in your life set up that allows you to facilitate your spiritual health? And here's another follow-up question that I think is really useful to answer and ask, I should say. Ask and answer, right? Are the things you feed your mind also nourishing your spirit? So on a daily basis, you're feeding your mind all sorts of data, all sorts of information. Does that also feed your spirit? Does it also nourish your spirit? Or would it be the type of thing that you would say, you know what, I probably should do a better job of filtering some of this information out. Now, from spiritual health, the next realm of health that I want to talk about is physical health, because a pattern I've noticed in leaders that last long term, this is another realm of health that they are investing themselves in. Uh, so as you can see on the slide in front of us, leaders who last tend to value their physical health. I actually just had conversations uh, with several leaders this morning where we talked about this specific uh, habit or, or this specific emphasis and really how important it is. And uh, I was listening to something earlier today where one of the presenters was sharing about how he has an ankle injury that over the past few months since his gym has been closed, 
that injury that wasn't bothering him while he was getting regular workouts, all of a sudden it started bothering him again like it's a fresh injury because his body is not getting physical motion like it was prior to things being interrupted and changed. Now, I have to confess to you something. As we're on this call together, I'm not going to pretend that I'm some sort of expert in physical health. Uh, I wish I was, but I am not. And admittedly, as you can see here in on the slide in front of you, this tends to be my weakest area of emphasis. And how this looks in my life happens to be like this. I go through seasons when I'm really good about eating, when I'm really good about exercising, and when I'm really good about sleeping. And uh, And I'll go through a stretch. Sometimes it'll be months. Sometimes it'll be up to a year. And I'll be really good about these things. And then when I'm stressed or, or really uh, exhausted, I can find myself very easily doing the exact opposite. So instead of eating well, I'm eating garbage. And instead of exercising, I'm being lethargic and, and uh, just, just doing too much sitting and not enough standing or not enough walking or not enough exercising. Uh, and instead of having a regular pattern for sleeping, I'll find myself engaged in just like really like not a good pattern of sleep. And um, over the, the months of the pandemic, I, that really got um, e exasperated because I noticed my sleeping pattern in particular was terrible because so many of my daily routines were interrupted and it really just threw off my internal clock and it threw off my internal rhythm. And I, I really found myself having to do a lot of course correction there because I did not like the direction I was starting to take my physical health just because my routines were so interrupted. And without fail, and again, I'm just saying this to confess to you, but without fail, you can tell how well I'm handling the stresses in my life by how I'm eating, sleeping, and exercising. And I've noticed a curious pattern in my life. The pictures that get taken of my family or of myself that I look back at, and I'm like, oh, I like how I look in that picture. Uh, it looks like I was, uh, uh, you know, getting some exercise and eating properly and, and things of that nature. I don't look overly tired in it. Usually, uh, you know, those pictures that I like are, are moments where obviously I'm, I'm absorbing stress as well. I'm handling stress as well. And I'm not trying to medicate with Doritos and ice cream and, and turkey hoagies at, at, you know, 11 p.m. at night or something like that. But the seasons where I'm not handling stress well or the seasons where I'm feeling uh, just exhausted with pastoral care. You could, you really can tell by looking at pictures that I show up in because if I look a little bit extra overweight or if I look a little bit tired, you could pretty much just read on my face, on uh, just my, my body in general, how well I'm handling stress because I tend to medicate with food. And maybe some of you have that same struggle as well. It's it's definitely an area of weakness that I need to keep an eye on. I love what we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. There it says this, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the ways in which we care for our bodies and every action we take, whether it be eating or drinking or, or speaking or anything we're doing, we want to do this all to the glory of God. But again, physical health isn't always something those of us in Christian leadership emphasize. And there's, a, there's not really a, a ton of pressure on us to emphasize it, if, you're, if we're honest. And uh, the way I, I tend to think about it is kind of like this. Because we tend to be spiritually focused leaders, it can be very easy for us to make excuses for investing in our, our physical health. We don't always feel like 
you know, it's that much of a, of, of a priority. And uh, some pastors that I'm friends with, some pastors that I've observed as at a distance or or even just known casually, uh, they even treat their growing waistline like it's a badge of honor. I, I've been in in penny, uh, plenty of pastor meetings where the pastors would joke about how how much their waistline is is growing. I, I'm not really sure that that's productive. I don't know that that's a good idea that we do that. And uh, when you think about it, much of the culture of fellowship that we've created in our local churches, it centers around food and overconsumption. I have to confess to you, last night I had a, a meeting with two other leaders in our church. We were talking about our small group ministries and trying to adapt them and make plans for the coming months. And we ordered hoagies and we ordered cheesesteaks and we also had mozzarella sticks and onion rings and French fries and sweet tea on the table. And as I'm thinking about that, I even thought about it last night, knowing I was going to be sharing this with you guys today. And I thought, wow, way to set an example. <laughs> I don't think we did a good job of setting an example in that particular area. We really need to keep, um, we really need to keep this in mind because truthfully, if we are overall now a special meal now and then, no big deal. But if the pattern of our life is to not focus on exercise, not focus on what we eat, not really watch how we sleep, what we're going to do is we're going to, it's eventually going to catch up with us. We're going to rob ourselves of the ability to serve in, um, in, in ways that we would like to serve in leadership. And the way, uh, I tend to put it is like this. There will come a day when the decisions we've made regarding our physical health will catch up with us. And some of us will be prevented from serving in our role as long as we might like to because our health will not allow us. Uh, now, admittedly, some health issues cannot be prevented. You know, I'm sure all of us probably have some area of our health that we would say, okay, that's an area where I'm, I'm really struggling, and it's not really something that's your fault. It's not something that could have been prevented. You know, I'm sure you probably try to, to treat it and do what you can to uh, mitigate some of the effects of it, but some health issues, they can't be prevented. They're not your fault. They're not my fault. They're just things that it's kind of our lot in life. And no matter what we do, that's not going to really change. But some health issues, and in fact, many health issues, can be prevented by taking better care of ourselves. And we'll also have more energy for our task and possibly deal with less bouts of depression if we choose to be more intentional about what we put into our bodies and uh, and how frequently we force our bodies to get in motion. Again, I'll, I'll just confess to you that I have discovered a pattern that it, in my own life that if I eat a particular way, I tend to have more energy. I tend to feel less easily discouraged. So I tend to feel more upbeat. And it really just comes back to the food I'm eating. And if I incorporate even just a half hour walk into my day. So if I, I can incorporate 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, if I'm feeling really ambitious, 30 minutes to an hour, get a good walk in and uh, just watch that I'm eating a particular way. I notice that it tends to really elevate my mood in a very significant way. And I'll tell you the secret, really, if I just limit how many carbohydrates and sugars I'm taking in, it really elevates my mood because sugar tends to have a depressive effect on our minds. And um, if we're over-consuming sugar or things that turn into sugar in our bodies, it, it does actually have an impact on our energy levels in a negative way. And it can actually have a depressive effect on our mind. So we got to be careful. I'm, I'm never going to be somebody that tells people, you know, don't eat something sweet now. And then I'm, I love ice cream too much to do that. I'd be hypocritical. Uh, but 
it is wise for us to be careful about it and keep that in balance. Um, now, before we get into emotional health, so we talked about spiritual health and physical health. We're going to be talking about three other realms of health. So we're starting with the two most obvious and then going into three realms of health that are less obvious, or at least they seem to be spoken of less. I want to pause right now really quickly to just ask you to offer any comments or questions or thoughts related to either spiritual health or physical health. Uh, just put those in the comment section right now so that we don't forget to get back to those after we talk about some of these other rungs of health. I, I do want to make sure that we address some of those when we have our discussion time. So if there's anything like that that you would uh, just be willing to put in the comment section, in the question section, please do that now so that we can revisit those thoughts uh, when we open up uh, our time of discussion that Sean will be moderating for us in just a little bit. All right, so spiritual health and physical health questions, jot those down in the question area, and uh, then we're going to come and revisit the questions that Sean picks. I can't see your questions, by the way. Sean sees those right now. I don't see those on my screen, so he moderates all those for us, and, and he'll pick a few out of there uh, that we can talk about later. Now, let's jump into this concept of emotional health. And even before I read the verse that I have on the screen for us, the other day I had um, a conversation with somebody where they told me directly that they don't think that Christians should worry about emotional health, that Christians should not focus on emotional health. They thought that sounded silly. And to me, I thought it sounded silly to not focus on emotional health, especially when you look at how God operates toward us and how God has designed us to reflect his image and to reflect his heart. So we're going to talk about the importance of emotional health. And I don't know if you think it's important or don't think it's important, but I have to just confess to you right up front, I do think emotional health is important. And uh, just to set up our discussion of this here, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says something very useful. I'm preaching through the book of Proverbs right now, and I'm, I'm really enjoying my time in the book of Proverbs. But Proverbs 17, verse 22 says this, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Let me say that again. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So what does it look like for us as leaders who want to last long term to say, okay, my spiritual health matters if I'm going to make it to the finish line. My physical health matters if I'm going to make it to the finish line. My emotional health matters if I'm going to make it to the finish line. Leaders who last tend to be emotionally healthy people. Uh, I started reading a book recently called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I don't know if any of you have had the chance to read that book came very highly recommended to me, and so I, it's written by a pastor, and um, I started reading that recently and, and think that it's, a, it's got some very good content. Uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, it's called. But leaders who last tend to be emotionally healthy people. It is not wise to de-emphasize the role emotions play in our lives, particularly, and we mentioned this just a moment ago, but particularly when we consider that the Lord designed us to have intellect, emotions, and a will. And the fact that we've been divine, uh, excuse me, designed as emotional beings, that also reflects the fact that we've been created in the image of God. When you look throughout the scriptures, God demonstrates emotion. You see that all throughout the scriptures. He demonstrates 
Emotion. There is nothing wrong with demonstrating emotion. I would say that there's actually something wrong with never demonstrating emotion because the Lord has designed us as people to have intellect, emotion, and will. And, and a big facet of that is that we're reflecting the image of God in this intentional design, in this in, in, intentional way that the Lord has created and fashioned us. So leaders who last tend to be emotionally healthy people. Now, I'm certain that those of us on the call here today, and even those accessing the recording right now, would be able to admit this, but serving in ministry is not for the faint of heart. Prior to becoming a pastor, I thought the job was going to be a little bit easier than it is, <laughs> emotionally speaking. I knew that there were certain aspects of it that were definitely going to be difficult, but I did not expect it to be as emotionally challenging as it tends to be. But in addition to some of the emotional scars that you have received in your youth, so think about some of these things that you've pretty much carried with you throughout the course of your life, emotional scarring that may come from your, your family of origin or the context of what you dealt with as a child or maybe even some trauma that you've experienced. So those are some things that are a very real part of your day-to-day -day life and may have left some scar tissue. You know, they may have left some emotional scars that you still wrestle with and you still lift up before the Lord as a matter of prayer. It's also possible that you've received several additional scars during the course of your ministry. And I've experienced many pastors telling me all about how they have experienced what, what some of us have started to call ministry PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder related to ministry, ministry PTSD. So do you think that's true of you? Do you think that you have experienced some level of ministry PTSD? Um, I'm going to give you a little test here I want you to take in your own mind, just three questions that I want you to ask yourself to maybe assess your emotional health and see if you've got some emotional scars from serving in church leadership. But how about this? What thoughts immediately come to your mind if your phone rings at 1 a.m.? So what are you fearful is going to be on the other end of that? I guess that could be something, though, that has an application in all kinds of areas of life. 1 a.m. is not really a time when the phone tends to ring very much, but sometimes your mind goes to pretty far extremes if, if your phone rings at 1 a.m. related to ministry. So what thoughts immediately come to your mind if your phone rings late like that? How about this? Question number two. What messages do you preach to your heart immediately after you finish preaching a sermon? So that can be really tricky. Uh, some of you probably, if, if we were all just being really transparent with, uh, with ourselves here, uh, some of you would have to admit here on this call that you beat yourself up pretty, uh, pretty thoroughly after you preach a message. Uh, maybe you didn't get the feedback that you're hoping to get, or maybe it seemed like people were nodding off and starting to sleep, or maybe people just didn't seem that into it, or maybe you got a little tongue-tied while you were preaching. I, I preached a sermon uh, two Sundays ago where I felt tongue-tied to the point where I actually mentioned a, a word or two that when I listened back to the recording of it, I thought, that's not a real word. It's, it's almost as if I have no grasp on the English language. I was kind of beating myself up about that. Uh, for a brief moment in time, and I, I thought, why why did I say that? That's not, that's not even logical. And uh, maybe you do that to yourself as well. You know, you beat yourself up a little bit, and uh, you, you kind of uh, weigh your emotions down after sharing Scripture in a preaching contest. But uh, context. But how about this? What fears do you wrestle with? This is probably the biggest question to ask to test this. But what fears do you wrestle with 
when someone in the congregation tells you that they'd like to meet with you during the week, but they haven't told you what you'll be meeting about. So that's terrifying, isn't it? Because <laughs> you think to yourself, wait a second, what, typically when people say that, that means they're upset about something or they want me to change something, or they're dissatisfied with something, or they just want to be critical of me for this reason or that reason. But what do you wrestle with in your mind? What story do you start making up in your head when someone in the congregation tells you they'd like to meet during the week, but they haven't told you what it's going to be about? I've actually got to the point where when people say, hey, pastor, can can I meet with you to talk on uh, on Wednesday? I have something we need to talk about. I've started to tell them, I've started to just admit to them that it's like, yes, of course I'll meet with you, uh, but you need to give me a little bit of a preview. Otherwise, my mind is going to go into all sorts of strange directions that I don't want it to go in. And I'm going to, I'm going to fill my head sometimes with anxious thoughts if I, if I let it get away from me. And so I've started to ask people, can you just tell me ahead of time what we're going to be talking about? 90% of the, of the time that helps. Uh, and then sometimes people just don't want to tell you ahead of time, and there's not much you can do about that, I guess. But, you know, what do you wrestle with when someone says, hey, I'd, I'd like to meet? Uh, you know, are we emotionally healthy enough to to handle moments like that? Or is that going to be an excessive burden that just ruins our week? One of the biggest tools that's helped me emotionally is to remember who I am in Christ. And for that reason, Ephesians 1's become one of the just my go-to portions of Scripture. I don't have it on the screen for us here, but if you get the opportunity, sometime during the course of today, read through Ephesians 1 and look at the things that that chapter tells you are eternally true of you in Christ Jesus. And I find that it helps me immensely to stay emotionally healthy, to stay emotionally stable, to remember who I am in Christ. And again, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, it tells us all sorts of details about our new identity in Christ, the things that will be eternally true of us forever in Christ Jesus. It helps me to remember who I am in Jesus. It helps me to remember what he has promised to do for me, particularly when I'm feeling emotional or when I'm feeling insecure or when I'm feeling caught in a moment. It's very helpful. It's, it's a very anchoring portion of Scripture to come back to. Uh, where I, I think, all right, Lord, I need to be reminded of those truths all over again so I don't go in an emotionally unhealthy direction. I'd encourage you to reread Ephesians 1 when you're, when you're feeling like you're starting to drift into an emotionally unhealthy realm. Because we need to begin seeing ourselves, we need to begin seeing other people, and we need to begin seeing our circumstances with the mind of Christ if we're going to be able to maintain the emotional health that Christ offers us. We also need to be willing to do something else. And this is harder to do than some of the other suggestions that I'm making on this call. But we need to be willing to identify sin in our lives and confess it and repent of it. And uh, I'm probably not alone in doing a lot of counseling, um, but I, I do a lot of counseling as a, as a pastor and I'm sure plenty of others that are on this call today do counseling as well. And I'll tell you what, one of the major causes of depression, one of the major causes of dissatisfaction among believers is the presence of unconfessed sin. Because we know that that unconfessed sin does not belong in our lives. And when we welcome something into our lives and we let it live there, and we nurture it, and we don't get rid of it, and we don't confess it, our conscience is troubled. 
If you keep trying to squelch your conscience for a long period of time, you're going to end up depressed. You're going to end up emotionally unhealthy, not to, you know, not to even uh, discount how spiritually unhealthy you can become, but you'll also become uh, emotionally unhealthy if you invite sin into your life that you choose to continue to welcome and you choose not to repent of it. I, I will confess to you that I noticed this pattern in my life um, about five years ago. I, I noticed that uh, there was an area in my life, I guess I won't be super transparent, but there was an area in my life where I have to admit to you that I, I was squelching my conscience about. And I finally got to a spot where I thought, you know what, my conscience is troubled by this. And if my conscience is troubled by this and I continue to uh, try and pretend like it's not troubled, all I'm going to do is make myself depressed. And I started to notice that I was starting to feel overly discouraged and overly depressed and I thought, you know what, this is the type of thing that I need to just confess and repent of and um, not invite back in because all it's doing is is it's destroying my level of emotional health. And I'm not going to last in leadership and I'm not going to really have a lot of joy and satisfaction in life if I keep inviting things into my life that really don't belong there or inviting things into my thinking or anything like that. And so I'd encourage you, if you notice something in your life that doesn't belong there, identify it, confess it and repent of it so that it doesn't dominate your thinking and destroy your emotional health. A fourth area of health that I want to highlight for us today is relational health. If you want to be a leader who lasts, if you want to make it to the finish line, if you want to be someone who 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 lasts long term, relational health is something that needs to become a priority. But as you probably know, and maybe you've even seen moments in your life where this has been the case, Many leaders confess to feeling lonely in their role of leadership. It can be very lonely. You could be surrounded by people but still feel extremely alone. So what does it look like to be a relationally healthy leader? How can we be relationally healthy people? How can we be relationally healthy leaders? Well, relational health begins with our relationship to the Lord. That's the most important rung of relational health. We need to develop a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. A a healthy relationship with the Lord is the foundation of relational health. And from there, we're likewise called to invest in our relationship with our spouse and our children. All other relationships come under our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with our household. Those need to be the priorities. That's got to be the foundation. Relationship with the Lord, relationship with your household. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you can be a relationally healthy leader if your walk with the Lord and your marriage and your children are being neglected. I had a pastor confess to me uh, some years ago, this is quite a while ago, and uh, this man has since passed away, but I remember him confessing to me that at one point he came up to a park, and he saw a father throwing a frisbee with his son, and he thought, oh, that that looks lovely. And then it dawned on him, and his son was an adult at that point. He's like, why did I never do that? That's the type of thing I I wish I could go back in time and do. And he felt like he didn't do it, and uh, he truly regretted it. And uh, and so, you know, relational health, uh, it definitely has an impact on our ability to last in ministry. Uh, And in addition to the relationship you have with the Lord, in addition to the relationship you have have with your spouse and your children, 
It's wise to also surround yourself with people who demonstrate that they are on your team. And uh, again, that can be challenging to, to do. It can be challenging to find those people and challenging to be willing to allow yourself to trust them. But you want to find some people who love you unconditionally and are still willing to be honest with you at the same time. Uh, I have developed several circles of friendship community in my life uh, that helped me immensely. But there was a season of my ministry where I did not have those circles developed and uh, definitely had a negative impact on my personal life and on uh, my ability to function as a leader because I just I felt like I was alone so often and uh, really has helped to develop um, you know, just a, a group of people that I think are kind of like my friendship inner circle. But those people help me navigate seasons when the burdens I'm trying to carry are too heavy to be carried alone. And there are people in my life, there's a few pastors and a few people that serve in other professions, uh, and even a few family members that are part of my extended family that I would consider part of my relationship inner circle, my friendship inner circle that help me when I feel excessively burdened. And I love the fact that they help me carry those burdens. And I feel much less burdened when I partner together with them. And it definitely helps me last in ministry because they, they, they're an outlet for me, but they also help me carry very heavy things. I love what we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. That verse tells us this. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So that should be the pattern in the church in general. Uh, that's even something we're trying to do right now is here we are gathered together on this webinar, uh, Servant Keeper graciously organizing these things for us regularly so that we can develop this relational health and encourage and build one another up. Um, and First Thessalonians 5.11, you have Paul encouraging the church at Thessalonica to do that, to make that a pattern in the church. I also love what he told the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. There he says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so he encouraged the early church to be people who bore one another's burdens, who built one another up, who encouraged one another, and that we would do so in regard to our relationship with Christ or in view of our relationship with Christ, realizing that Christ does these things for us and we are to model his example. Now I'm going to take a quick sip of water here. And uh, while I do that, I'd love to hear some of your insights and comments and thoughts related to emotional health and relational health before we segue from this subject. So take a moment, please, and just jot a few thoughts down in the questions section, even any questions you have or any insights that you may have before we segue to, to one additional thing. And we'll circle back to those in just a few moments. <clears throat> Uh, one other thing here that I want to mention to you related to relational health. When these relational circles are healthy, you'll be in much better shape to serve and relate to your congregation. You won't find yourself as likely to base your emotional health on the nature of the approval of your congregation or the nature of their disapproval because your primary relationships are being invested in and because there's not a relational void in your life, you're not going to become overly dependent on feedback from your congregation to try and satisfy an emotional need. So 
if you want to last long in ministry, if you want to last long in leadership, relational health definitely matters. And uh, I'll also say this, you're also more likely to be respected by your church and your community when they see visible demonstration of the fact that your walk with the Lord and your relationship with your family, when those things remain your top priorities. And I think it's also going to help you when it comes time to establish healthy boundaries with people who might attempt to misuse your time or abuse their relationship with you. I have absolutely have, have had many people throughout the course of my years in pastoral leadership who've tried to really um, utilize time or misutilize or ab- abuse the time that I had in my schedule um, because I didn't have healthy boundaries set up from time to time. And, and so having, um, you know, just good relational health with your, your, with the Lord, with your family, with your inner circle of trusted friends, uh, can help you when it comes to setting those boundaries because you won't be, uh, emotionally needy and trying to fill those voids in unhealthy ways. You'll also have demands on your time because you're trying to invest in the relational health of your household, your spouse, your kids that prevent you from having that time available for it to be used by those that really don't respect your time and are willing to, uh, in a sense, be disrespectful toward how your time is being utilized. Now, I want to talk about one last form of health, and I alluded to this just a few moments ago, but the last form of health that I want to focus on that ministry leaders frequently don't want to talk about but it does have a direct impact on your ability to last in ministry. If you want to last in ministry over the long term, this is something you definitely need to think about, and that's your financial health. And it doesn't sound as spiritual to talk about finances, does it? You know, when you talk about relational health and emotional health and physical health and spiritual health as a, as a specific topic, those things seem a bit more high-minded than talking about financial health. But a pattern that I have noticed among leaders that last long-term. They're also good financial stewards. They're wise with how they oversee their personal finances. I love what we're told in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. There it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So what does it mean for us as leaders in our present day to honor the Lord with our wealth or to be, we could put it, we could phrase it this way. What does it mean for us to be good stewards of the finances that the Lord entrusts to us? We don't want to worship money. We don't want to idolize money. That's unhealthy. But if the Lord entrusts finances to us, and I'm certain that all of us on this call today have had some level of financial stewardship entrusted to us. What does it look like to steward that responsibly? What does it look like to honor the Lord with what he entrusts to us? And how does this correlate to our ability to last in leadership over the long term? Well, leaders who last, they tend to see the value of maintaining healthy personal finances. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right off the bat, one of the, the things that my wife appreciates about the season of life that we're at right now versus the season of life we were at 20 years ago is that this is an area that finally got my attention. This is an area that I pay attention to much more carefully than I did when we were just starting out in ministry. At that point, it seemed not that big of a deal to me, but I've noticed for her, she is more supportive of me serving in ministry when she knows 
that our household's financial needs are going to be taken care of. And, and that isn't something that undue burden is even being put on her or something like that. And, and so I've even noticed in my own marriage how focusing on financial health really has mattered, but it, it matters in a lot of realms. It also matters in what you're able to say yes to. You can say yes to a lot of things if you've got the financial piece figured out. If you don't need to make every decision you make based on you know, what you're going to be paid by this person or that person, there's a lot of things that you could just volunteer to do if you have the financial piece of your life focused on. And I'll share a few additional thoughts about that because this tend to, tends to invite some level of discussion. But I'll tell you what, for some reason, finances tend to be a subject that many people in church leadership are afraid to talk about. We're afraid to talk about it, and it's very unfortunate. I think we fear being thought of as greedy or worldly, and so we often avoid the subject. And I think we can all think of examples of different people we've seen on TV or different people we've read about who, you know, they were in some position of ministry leadership, and then it became obvious that they were either misappropriating funds or they were just greedy for dishonest gain. And so because of that, sometimes we don't want to be thought of that way, and so we fear even speaking about these things because we don't want to give people a poor perception of our motives or our thoughts. And unfortunately, in some contexts, because we're so hesitant to even talk about these things, this can rob us of the opportunity to continue to serve in ministry, particularly since most ministries aren't high paying. And because we don't think about, um, you know, the financial health of our household and we don't emphasize it like we should, uh, sometimes there are opportunities that come our way that we aren't able to say yes to because we're not in a financial position to say yes to those things. Whereas if we had just spent some time carefully focusing on this, maybe we would have had some funds available to free up our time to be able to say yes to an open door that the Lord brought before us. Let me ask a few questions. And I know that this isn't necessarily dialogue right now because uh, I can't hear what you're saying, but maybe you can you can uh, type some of your responses in the comment section. But a few questions that I have for pastors uh, when I'm talking to them about these things and other church leaders who serve in various roles, uh, I like to ask questions like this. Do you have a budget or do you follow a budget? You know, do you, have, do you know where your money's going? So do you follow a budget or do you just wing it month to month? I think most people wing it. You don't have to admit if you're someone who wings it. I used to wing it. <laughs> For years, for a very long time, I used to wing it. I stopped winging it, and it definitely helped. I was amazed at how much money I spent on inconsequential things, uh, you know, once I actually put a budget together. How about this? Are you a generous giver? I think if, if you're in church leadership, this is something that you're called to model. I think we should be generous givers. I, I, I don't think that that's something that as church leaders we should neglect. So be a generous giver as the Lord enables you to be so. Um, how about this? Have you explored ways in which, and this one produces a lot of good conversation, by the way, but have you explored ways in which you might be able to gradually build up multiple streams of income that don't take you away from your family and your church responsibilities? Inevitably, there has to be somebody on this call right now who's saying, how on earth can you build up multiple streams of income that don't take you away from your family and your church responsibilities? I only have so much time. And I want to tell you a little secret. Maybe you know it already, maybe you don't. But not every source of income requires you to trade time for money. There are sources of income that can be built up that don't 
demand your time after an initial investment of time. I'll give you one example. Um, I love to write books. And so over the course of uh, the past group of years, I've realized that when I write books, not only am I helping people and not only am I pursuing uh, like just a passion that the Lord's given me to communicate certain information to people, but also once you write a book, that work's done. So every day I get paid for books that I've written years ago. And it requires no more of my time. It's just up on Amazon and, and people order those books and I get paid and Amazon sends me money once a month. And so I'm just telling you, there are ways that you can gradually build up multiple streams of income that don't take you away from your family and don't take you away from your church responsibilities and can help fund when your family wants to go on vacation. Right now, I've got two children in college and I've got two other children still at home. And um, there are sources of income that over time, the Lord's enabled me to to start to build up a little bit here and there that help care for my family's needs and allow me to be generous in a variety of areas. And um, I've started to realize, wow, you know, focusing on this actually allows me to say yes to a lot of things that I wouldn't have been able to say yes to before. How about this? Are you avoiding debt or you or are you embracing it? Um, I used to just, I don't know, I used to love debt. I thought debt was the greatest thing in the world. It allowed me to drive a better car than I could afford. And, and it allowed me to, you know, do all sorts of things. And and uh, then before you know it, you have to pay that debt back. And so I got into a spot where I thought, I need to change my mindset. And so I got rid of my debt. And it took years to get rid of my debt. But I got to tell you, being on the other side of it now, I feel a lot better. I sleep a lot better at night than I used to. I used to have a lot of debt. And I realized that was sabotaging my quality of life. My financial health was definitely suffering there. How about this? Are you tucking a percentage away in a Roth IRA or a 401k for your retirement? Uh, some of the financial experts say you should be taking 15% of what you earn and you should be tucking it away in your IRAs and your 401k. And some of you are like, I don't even, what's a Roth IRA? It'd take you five minutes to set one of those up on E-Trade and you could put $6,000 up to $6,500 a year into that and it can grow tax-free up until the point where you retire. And it's a nice little envelope to tuck money away into. You know, you pick what you want to invest it in once it's in the IRA. Uh, so you can just pick an index fund or something else like that if you do what I do, or maybe you have a different strategy. But regardless, you know, are you tucking a percentage away in a Roth IRA or a 401k for your retirement? And I, I think it's useful to ask this question too. Does the thought of focusing on this stress you out? A lot of times when I ask people financial questions like this, it stresses them out. And I have to tell you, there was a point in my life where it really stressed me out too. Because I felt like, I don't know what to do with this. It's like a mystery. I, I don't know what to do. And so it took some time for me to actually learn what I was supposed to do. And so now I've actually started hosting financial seminars for, for pastors because I realized I wasn't the only one that felt that way. Uh, many of my colleagues, many of my close friends were really struggling with this too. It makes a big difference on our ability to last long term if we could just focus on our financial health health even just a little bit. And I'll say this, if you don't presently have a plan, don't worry. Worry isn't going to help you solve it, right? There are plenty of people who can help you get a plan started. I'm going to suggest two good names to you, one you've probably heard of and one you've probably not heard of. But I tend to follow the advice given by Dave Ramsey, so you've probably heard of him. I don't know. Some people love him. Some people hate him. I love him. Um, I think he's great. Um, but, you know, he's certainly an opinionated man. But I have to tell you, following his advice has really helped me. I also follow the advice of another guy named Brian Preston. 
and uh, he has a, a, a program as well. And their advice, it's very similar, and they actually are both from the Nashville, Tennessee area, um, but they don't give the exact same advice. And so I guess what I'm following is a little bit of a blend between the two, but I like the counsel they give. And so I didn't try and figure it out all myself. I just looked at people that seemed to know what they were talking about and started following their counsel and utilizing it in what I do. And here's the amazing thing. It worked and uh, it, it helped us out immensely. And their content is freely available online. They also also have tons of videos on YouTube. I check them out all the time. But here's what I want to say about this that's the most important thing about it. Christ can be honored in our financial stewardship. I think that he wants us to honor him in our financial stewardship, and I think it's a blessing to our household, and it's a blessing to the ministries that we lead as well, but it's also a blessing to us when we focus on the financial health of you know our individual life and our family. And it also definitely impacts the financial culture of our local church when the primary leadership demonstrates financial health and financial stewardship by example. So if you're one of the primary leaders in your church and you are a good steward of your finances, that will rub off on your congregation and it will be a blessing to multiple households. It will also creep out into your conversations and into your counseling and maybe even from time to time into your sermons. If this is an area that you are developing health it's going to not only bless your household, it's probably going to be a blessing to other people. If you can teach people what it looks like to honor Christ with their finances and to be a good steward of the finances that the Lord entrusts to them. I'll also say this, some of you probably have people in your congregations that have the desire to serve in overseas missions. And if they want to become a full-time missionary serving in overseas missions, one of the things they're going to have to do before they get that opportunity is become financially solvent. You go up to one of the major mission agencies and you say, hey, here I am, I'm financially insolvent. I have all this debt and I'm managing my finances poorly, but will you take me on as a missionary who serves with your organization? They're going to tell those people, no. They're going to say, get financially solvent first and then reapply. And so financial health does impact whether or not we're able to function in certain roles of ministry. And it also impacts our ability to last long term in ministry because many ministry positions are not high paying positions. So this is something we have to be extra intentional about so that we can actually last long term. Let me say this as, as we finish up here and uh, prepare ourselves to take some questions and, and have some discussion. And by the way, if you haven't put something in the chat area yet, uh, now is the perfect time to do that because we're about to segue into discussion. But I'll say this to kind of wrap this up, and then I'm going to tell you some freebies that I have for you. But if it's your desire to have a long and fruitful ministry that is not prematurely cut short, there's value in keeping a sharp eye on your spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, and financial health. Leaders who do so tend to outlast those who don't. Now, before we, we take questions and open up for discussion, I just want to let you know that if you go over to my website, which is desirejesus.com, you'll see three things that you can download for free over there today. You could also sign up to be on my email list if you're interested in that, because I put some resources out um, through the email list as well. But you can download a copy of these slides. So I have a copy of the slides in PDF form over there if you'd like uh, to download a copy of them. They're there. You can use them with your church leadership or just keep them uh, for yourself. 
Um, also, I do have a copy of this worksheet that we we handed out at the top at the at the top of uh, the webinar here, and then I also have a free book over there uh, that's just called Healthy, and you'll see this all in the the blog section. You'll see the title of today's webinar there. Click on it. You can get the free book. You can get the uh, the slides, and you can get another copy of this worksheet if you need it for some reason. Um, and they'll all be there on the website. And if you want to sign up for the email list, there's a, a block there for you to sign up for that as well. So with that, um, I'll turn things over to Sean and, and uh, be very interested to hear some of the thoughts and questions that were shared during our time today. All right. Thanks, John. So um, <clears throat> we had quite a, quite a good amount of uh, responses here. So awesome. I'm going to wait through some of these and we'll... Uh, uh, I won't be able to get to all of them, but uh, okay. we have some really great responses. Here. Sure. But, uh, Wanda says, when you're busy in ministry, how do you find the time to do those things that are good for your physical and spiritual health? So this is how I, I phrase it. And by the way, the, the physical health part, like I said, that's my biggest struggle. Um, but they are related, you know, the physical and the spiritual health. But this is how I phrase it in my mind. Every time I say yes means I'm automatically saying no to something else. So I try and be careful about what I say yes to so that I'm leaving time for uh, the things that I need to incorporate, whether it be time in the scriptures, uh, time in the evenings to take a walk. One of my favorite times to, to go walking is in the evening. I'll put on a podcast and some headphones, and I'll just walk around my neighborhood. I just follow the, the sidewalk through my neighborhood and make laps around it. Um, but I make sure that I have a, a schedule where I communicate to our church family, here are the times that I'm available, here are the times I'm not available. Now, they know I'm always available if there's an emergency, but they also know that I take Mondays off. I always take Mondays off. And um, and last night I had a meeting on a Monday, and the guys that were part of that meeting were shocked that I was willing to meet with them um, because they said, wow, you're never available on a Monday, and my church has been trained to expect that now. But I did make an exception because everybody else in my household had something else going on, and we decided to do stuff as a family on another night. And so I did make an exception last night. Plus, we were having hoagies and mozzarella sticks and stuff like that. I couldn't miss that. Um, but yeah, so every yes is an automatic no to something else. And um, and so you, you really just have to accept that in your head. Uh, we like to be liked. If you're in church leadership, you probably like when people like you. And so when, because we like that people like us, we tend to say yes to a lot of things that sometimes we should not say yes to some of those things. And so we have to just pick and choose what we say yes to. Otherwise, we will not have the time that we need. Okay. Annette, um, is asking some, you know, several questions. She's had some really good input here and, uh, it relates, I think, specifically about the rest part. So sometimes she says, sometimes it, seems like there are so many things that need attention right away that it's hard to find time. I feel like I'm trying to catch up almost constantly. How do you prioritize time so that there's time to sleep and to pause and to nurture spiritual health? So similar there. Yeah, it's um it so it's a similar answer to what I just uh referenced, but I'll also add this to it. Um, for me, it's very helpful for me to segment my week in specific ways where I know that there's time that I'm on and time that I'm off. And so I try and be really productive with the time that I'm on so that I can make the best use of the time that I'm off. 
I also try and surround myself with people that help me carry the burden. If you remember when we were talking about relational health, uh, that might be something you want to explore. Are there some people that will help you shoulder the burden if right now you're, you're being tasked with a variety of things that really are too much for one person to be able to have the time to do? So there might be some things that you need to share with some other people. But I also, I'll, I'll mention to you, I have a set time off during the course of each week, and the church knows when that is, and they, they're pretty good about honoring it. But they also know that quarterly, so every quarter, I'm away for a Sunday. Um, and I'm pretty good about not missing too many Sundays during the course of the year. But I do something with my family, something special, even if it's just like a weekend here or there, uh, once a quarter. And uh, that also helps with the rest and the rejuvenation time and also relationship building. Um, and it really helps my spiritual tank to be a little bit more invested in. One other thing um, that I'll mention about that, and this comes back to what we feed our mind. So there's a variety of podcasts that I like listening to. That's one of my favorite ways to get media. And there's also various things that I'll, I'll enjoy watching on YouTube that feed me spiritually. So since I'm dishing out constantly with messages and teaching and things like that, it can be easy for the tank to run a little bit dry. And so there are other pastors whose messages I like to listen to. One of my favorites, one of my absolute favorites, is David Jeremiah. I don't know if you if you like him or, or not. Everybody's got their preference, but his preaching style really connects with me. And I think he's really faithful to preach the gospel, really faithful to the content of the scriptures. And I can listen to him preach. I really love R.C. Sproul as well who recently passed away, and he's, he's with the Lord now, but I'm thankful that so much of his teaching is recorded. So I use their teaching and the recordings of it uh, as part of my spiritual diet that helps me during those times when I'm uh, trying to rest or when I'm trying to walk or do something like that. So um, here's a one, uh, Darrow. Um, has, it's a comment but I think it has a question kind of attached to it here. Pastoral ministry is indeed a lonely assignment, as you cannot share what you're dealing with or going through, both personally and professionally, with the people you're serving. Mm -hmm. Sometimes because of how your ministry is structured, peers have a hard time understanding what you're dealing with, which leaves a void on trying to be heard and understood. Mm -hmm. So... What would you have to say about that? That's where being very intentional to set up a community outside those you're trying to serve, that's where that's really going to matter. So over time, I've tried to nurture some friendships that, that I can be very transparent with. And I've, I've, you know, they know all sorts of oddities about me and they didn't run away from our friendship once, once I was transparent with them about my just odd, oddities about myself, you know, things that we would say, oh, boy, I wouldn't want the world to know that. But this this friend here, I can trust this guy, you know, he he knows this. Um, and so I, I also have a circle of people that I meet with once a week um, to just we just talk about the things that we're working on and we talk about the things that we struggle with. And lately, what we've been doing is just meeting on Zoom. So it doesn't even involve any travel. We'll just get on and do like a video conference for an hour or two. And we'll do that once a week. And I also have another group of pastors that I meet with once a month uh, for just an hour where we go through and just share some of the things that we're wrestling with. And that one also has become like a, uh, a video chat as well. 
So that doesn't happen on accident. Every one of those examples that I just shared were moments where I intentionally sought out other people, tested them a little bit to see if I could trust them. And then once trust was built, I continued to invest time in those relationships. And now at this point, I mean, even with all the disruption we experienced over the past few months culturally, I was so grateful to have those friendships. It really ministered to me in the midst of all of that. And it continues to minister to me and help me to feel stronger in my role of ministry. Kind of uh, uh, jumping off of that, I'm just curious, like, what would you have to say about transparency with people in the congregation? Like, you know, it, obviously we have to be careful to some degree, but we also want to be approachable and real. Right. You know, I mean, what would you, what, what would you say? What is your advice there? Uh, it, that's one where you have to rely on the internal counsel of the Holy Spirit more so than anything. Um, but I have chosen overall, there are certain things that I'm pretty guarded about, I guess. But overall, I think I'm a pretty transparent person. And I don't mind, um, my, like my goal is to be the same guy in my day-to-day life that I am in the pulpit. And I don't want, I don't want there to be two versions of me. I want to be the same guy wherever I am. And I want to be able to talk about the things that are troubling me or things that are on my mind. I want when I'm preaching to point to Jesus as the solution. So I don't need to be the hero when I'm preaching. Christ is the hero which gives me a lot of freedom to be able to admit, yeah, I goof this up, I make this mistake, I really struggle with focusing on my physical health, I, you know, things like that. If I'm not trying to be the hero, if I'm content with Christ being the hero, that gives me a lot more freedom to be transparent. But admittedly, when you're leading a group of people, there are certain things that you, you would want to be a little bit more careful about being transparent. You also want to be very guarded and careful about the conversations you reveal to other people, because there are people that will um, just admit all sorts of things to you, and you want to make sure. I know a pastor, he's retired now, but he used to, in his messages, he would reveal things that people had told him in confidence, and I used to think to myself, like, I would never tell you anything because it's going to end up in a sermon. I thought that was mortifying, and he dealt with a lot of negative feedback from it, but I remember telling my wife once, I, I said, now, I have to tell you ahead of time, when we hang out with these people, don't tell them anything that you would not be comfortable uh, having them repeat in front of others because they repeat everything. So you have to be, you know, you know, be somebody that can knows what to keep in the vault and what to share. But I think the Holy Spirit gives us the best counsel that anyone can give us on what when it's appropriate. But I err on the side of being transparent. I would rather be transparent. I'd rather admit my weaknesses to you and and remind others that my sufficiency is in Christ, not my ability to try and get everything right in my own strength. All right, nice. So David uh, uh, says boldly here, many pastors are grossly underpaid. Yeah. Would, would you agree? Oh, of course. When you look at, uh, there was a there was a study done some years ago. This is old, a very old study at this point, but they determine what culturally are the most difficult professions, and they had like a top 10, and I don't remember, I only remember two things on that list. One was university president, so they said being a university president was a very difficult role, although they tend to be compensated pretty well. (laughs) Um, And then the other one that I remember off that list, for obvious reasons, was pastor. 
And pastors, unfortunately, don't tend to be compensated uh, as well as their skills and their talents and the demands on their time and, and the emotional energy they need to commit to their task uh, demand. You know, and uh, and that's also why I, I tend to encourage pastors to develop multiple streams of income. I think the Apostle Paul is, I mean, we can't take this too far, right? But the Apostle Paul tends to be a great example of that with his tent-making ministry. He was able to serve in a variety of ways joyfully because he had figured out another way to fund his day-to-day expenses through tent-making, and then that freed him up to be able to, to serve in, in various forms of ministry. Now, there were some churches that also supported him, uh, he, he wasn't supported purely from tent making, but a large percentage of the ministry he was doing involved tent making. And so I kind of look at, you know, I mentioned books being one of the income streams that I've developed. Um, I, I tend to look at that sort of stuff as a way, it's like modern day tent making. It's like I can be a blessing to my household and my church if I figure out a few of these things that don't take uh, excessive demands on my time or don't demand an excessive demand on my time. That's a good segue to the next one. So Richard is asking, should a pastor work a full-time job and pastor if the church cannot afford to pay income for past, for the pastor? Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. That, that very much depends on the context. I have no problem when guys do that. And in fact, I work with multiple guys that are doing that. I, I lead a mission board called the National Mission Board. And almost every one of our church planters that are planting with us almost all of them have a full-time job outside of planting. And they're doing that with like a tent-making mindset, uh, saying, you know what, I'll earn some money, you know, this way, and then maybe at some point when the church is developed, they'll be able to pay me a little bit better. And and I agree with that mindset because I've done that too. Um, you know, that's the type of thing that, that I've done uh, throughout the course of my ministry, tried to have additional sources of income. But there's also cases that I could point to where there are churches that really need the pressure put on them to step up. And you have people really holding back, supporting the Lord's work through the local church, and um, it ends up having a negative impact on the church, a negative impact on the pastor's family, because so much of his time is spent trying to juggle multiple things. So it really, de- I think it depends on the context. I think it depends on God's calling. And I also think sometimes it depends on the season of life that you're at. So if you're at a season of life where you're single, and you don't have a family at home, um, you're going to have uh, some additional time that might be available to you. Or if you're at a season of life where your children are adults, so my children one at a time are kind of graduating out of my household, and I've noticed they don't demand as much of my time as they did when they were younger. And two, like I said, half of my kids now are off at college, right? And so if, it, if it's a season of life where you know your kids aren't even home half the time or, or all the time, that's also going to leave you with more margin. Um, so I don't have a hard, fast answer for that. But uh, if a church is taking advantage of a pastor, that's one thing. But if he has a specific calling to invest himself in a tent-making role, and it makes sense with the season of life and the nature of his family, I think that that's fine. So uh, I think one last one here. Um uh, just Jeremy is saying uh, he would be interested in learning more about revenue streams mm-hmm. that are not dependent on time besides uh, book writing. Uh, maybe any su- quick suggestions or maybe even resources or something. I don't know. Um, um, Jeremy, I have 
send me an email. All right, so if you send me an email to john at desirejesus.com, I can send you a link to training that I actually did on this a while back. It's just a video um, that I put together maybe about four or five months ago on that very subject. Um, but I, you'll laugh if I if I told you how many of these little streams I have going on right now. You'd laugh, but it's a decent amount, and some of them bring you know five ten dollars a month, and some of them bring in you know anywhere from ten to thirty dollars a day. And it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when you do the math over the course of a month, you realize oh that little thing kind of becomes a bigger thing. And I decided for the benefit of other pastors, since entrepreneurial stuff is something that I like to do. Um, there are some really helpful ways and ethical ways that we as, as church leaders can get involved in doing things like that that end up having a, a benefit for our family and for our church. And so, like I said, um, I do have a video on it. Just send me an email, john at desirejesus.com, and I'll just reply to it with the link. I just have to find the link. It's, it's up on YouTube, though. Uh, Pastor John, I want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and experience with us today. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be with you as always. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To You podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.